1: All right, guys. We want to welcome Candice Mortensen to the podcast today. We know Candice because KJ and I were interns at the greenhouse where I worked, and Candice was a therapist there. And she was one of the only people who would let us watch her play therapy sessions, so we loved her the most. And so we've been friends since then. And then Candice has had a pretty crazy story about how she became a mom. What's happened since? She has experienced most types of adoption, which is very unusual. You don't usually find a family who's like, oh, yeah, we have foster. We have international. You know, we have... Um, interracial. We have You pretty much have everything, right? So we're excited to have her here and to hear her story and learn a lot about how she parents. We wanted to bring her on the podcast after stalking her Facebook and reading all of the way she was parenting her kids. And we are so impressed with the way that she's doing it with these kids who have a lot of trauma. So let's get into it.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to share some of my experiences with you and be together again after. It's been a while.
0: Yeah, Yeah, we're so excited. So do you want to just maybe start telling your story about kind of what led you to adopt? Maybe just kind of the background there?
2: I think the biggest main factor was that my husband and I couldn't have our own children. And so for years, we experienced infertility. And we just hit a point where we felt like we were supposed to be parents, and that adoption was the, was the right path for us. I didn't ever plan really to adopt, but I feel like I received quite a good preparation by being a mental health therapist with young children <laughs> that that, mm-hmm. that came that was helpful to me when we first adopted um, our first child, a lot of just coming straight from being a mental health therapist going into a mother with a child with severe trauma that was very helpful for me um Mm -hmm. but yeah it wasn't wasn't necessarily something like in my life plan but it felt like the right thing and we we felt called and drawn to Africa in particular for for our first adoption and each each adoption kind of has its own story of why we adopted again um but i think once you adopt and i think a lot of adoptive parents feel this way that when you when you go to an orphanage and you see kids in an orphanage like we did in africa that your heart kind of is drawn drawn to go again or help more cuz if you can that, that that's something you should do cuz you just your heart is drawn out to these kids that you know who are still over in in an orphanage that their pictures kind of stayed in our mind and so we we felt drawn to to go to Africa so we we had some big things happen financially that helped us to be able to go cuz it's pretty expensive to adopt internationally
1: Do you want to tell us um who you have adopted just kind of like the general obviously nothing too personal about them but just kind of the general ages, like when did you get them, what age were they, all of that.
2: So our first adoption, we went, well, actually we, we were going to adopt an older child and her case was actually a trafficked case and so we lost that first referral. So our first child we brought home was a two-year-old boy from Uganda. And then a year later we went back And adopted an 18-month-old baby girl from Uganda. And six months later, we went to China and adopted a two-year-old boy. So our Chinese son and our Ugandan daughter have birthdays that are eight days apart. Oh, wow. And then I was pretty content with three. (laughs) In a year and a half, we adopted three separate adoptions. Um, from two different countries. After we adopted our Chinese son, we went back to Uganda and adopted a baby girl, and she came home with us. We got her visa when she was about 18 months old, and and brought her to the U.S. And then, <laughs> so I like all anyway, the so and, and then <laughs> and then there's another kid and then there's another kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was sure we were pretty much, four felt complete for us. And I came across, I was on Facebook, and I came across this picture of this boy from China. And he had a prosthetic leg, and it said he had scoliosis, and he was almost 14 years old. And when you turn 14 in China, the adoption law is that you can no longer be adopted. And so... His file stated, you know, he's almost 14. He's going to age out in February from being able to be adopted. And I'm like, I got to advocate for this kid. He seems like the sweetest boy. He just had a light in his eyes. And um, so I tried to share it on Facebook. And then I found out that the link was private and I couldn't share it. So it was like, I thought I shared it, but I didn't really share it. And I showed it to my husband. I'm like, look at this kid from China. Isn't he so cute? And immediately, Jason just started to cry. And he was like, honey, I think that's our son. And I was like, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, he just seems like a really sweet kid. But I I pondered over it and um, did the things I do to decide if it was right for us. And I really did feel like, yeah, I think we need to pursue this and adopt him so we had to hurry and expedite all the paperwork and he actually came home from china on his 14th birthday that's how close it was yeah so we got him home in february and so and then we have a foster child that is a relative that has a foster baby that has joined our family sense too. So we have six children and five international adoptions.
0: Woo full house. That's quite
2: a family. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It is crazy though. So you have your oldest is now fourteen and then you've got these four who are really close together, right? And then the one daughter who's a new boy younger, the foster daughter.
2: Yeah. So right now we have a seven year old, two five and a half year olds and a three and a half year old okay so those those four are close in age and they're mm. they're a lot of work
0: mm.
1: yeah yeah I'm sure
0: <laughs> so what do you think has surprised you the most uh with being an adoptive family
2: a couple things um even though I worked as a mental health therapist and I knew trauma affected Personally and behaviorally, and I I saw it in children as a therapist. Seeing it as a mom, like on the day-to-day, minute-to-minute behavior, it can be kind of overwhelming. I remember when we first got our first son, and he was two. He had his second birthday while we were still in Uganda, and I remember giving him a cracker once and you know, just a cracker. What would you like to eat for a snack? And he went into like a full-blown meltdown tantrum that lasted a really long time. And I Jason's like, what'd you do? I'm like, I gave him a cracker. <laughs> so um, just the amount of adjusting that goes on, especially like that first year after you adopt, that there's a lot of behavioral things, you see a lot of emotions. And mm-hmm. I I was surprised by how hard it is, even though I felt like I was prepared because I <clears throat> experienced it with clients. And when you experience it as a mother, it's a whole new level, right? Because it's 24 hours a day. Um, yeah, It affects everything. It affects sleeping patterns and, you know, nightmares at night and waking at night and helping a child go to sleep at night. So, so just the 24-hour um, care that, that is required to really help a child adjust that's come from a hard place. And for us, we had language barriers. So um, a lot of these kids, especially who come from orphanages like in, in Africa, there's not a lot of stimulation in the orphanage. They just kind of stay in one room without many toys. And so to come to come to to the US and it's like, you know, stimulation, galore, toys everywhere, you know, everything you could think of. So to to kind of scale it back was was something I had to scale it back even more than I I was prepared to like not over stimulate <laughs> but even still I had to scale it back farther than I could have anticipated so that was that was a big thing um the other thing interracially I didn't realize what a big deal it would be to other people in public so I remember when I first came home with our son we'd go to the store and everybody would want to talk to me I'd be like okay at first, it was just really overwhelming to me because I'm kind of an introvert and I don't care to chit chat with everybody when I'm standing in line and stuff. And it would—it was almost impossible to go without people stopping me and asking, where is he from? And wanting to know all these details about him. And so that was a big adjustment for me at first. Now I'm used to it, but at the beginning, that was that was a big adjustment. So I felt like My privacy was kind of gone because he looked different than me. Everybody felt like they deserved an explanation, and sometimes I felt sometimes I felt like it's none of your business. (laughs) But
1: (laughs) and it really wasn't. But you know, they're still gonna ask.
2: That's not a very nice thing because what I'm what I learned is people are just curious and they're just excited, Mm -hmm. and so I've I've learned ways to it doesn't bother me now. It's a, it's a happy thing and we just celebrate it. Yeah. You know, this child's adopted and, and that's so amazing. And
1: yeah, I like that perspective
0: <sighs> shift of like,
1: they're invading my privacy to like, oh, we can share about our family and how beautiful adoption is and it works for us and that kind of a thing, you know.
0: You kind of mentioned some of the trauma and the things that surprised you. So what has been the hardest part about raising children with early childhood trauma?
2: I think the hardest part is you can't take away grief. I felt like I had a lot of tools to help with getting over, like, the trauma of scary things that have happened. And I created, like, these life books for each of my kids, and I put tons of pictures in of their stories of what they've been through so they could process it and my kids really love love that they still do they still love these books I had them printed so they're like real books you know and I made them really special and I I told the story like within EMDR protocol even if you're not a therapist I feel like the way the book is written it applies to anybody it's sort of like Francine Shapiro's book getting past your past and how she she outlines ways that you can work on getting over things that are hard for you. So I did that at like a, you know, a young child level for each of the first four adoptions we had. And I saw them heal from so many things, but the grief, which I think can be super traumatic too, but just the loss and grief you go through that just can't be taken away. It has to be processed. Like it has to just, and it's, Everybody grieves a little bit differently and is on their own time table of opening their heart to you and loving. So seeing a couple of my children not really want to open their hearts and love again because of the loss of someone they loved that they were separated from. Because a couple of my kids had some really sweet bonds um, with caregivers that were taking care of them. And so I couldn't take away that grief. I felt like I had tools to take away trauma, but grief, which was connected to the trauma, <laughs> was just something that had to had to be felt. Like you yeah, you loved this person and now you're not with this person is a hard hard thing for a little child to go through. So for me that was something hard to witness where a couple of my kids just that grief it's hard to explain even in words just you know people who've lost someone really close to them there's just this feeling you know that you have mm-hmm. and then on the other hand not having that with somebody is a different kind of experience too and a different thing a couple of my other children have gone through where they didn't have a close bond you know with anyone um yeah, but that grief piece was was something I didn't I didn't anticipate being so hard, but it really was. And so it just took time. And then it was like suddenly, okay, I can see that they're kind of healing from this this grief piece, and their heart mm-hmm. is more open. But it wasn't like I did X, y, and Z, and now my child feels better. It was more of a, a- just a process and a something I couldn't take away we could celebrate the people that they loved and show pictures but the grief was still there because that relationship wasn't wasn't there anymore
1: yeah what were some of those signs that they were healing like how did you see that in them
2: um behaviorally just this and oh man you just see it in their eyes just the way they light up um mm-hmm. And the day-to-day little things, just being able to be more happy, less sad. Um, And then moments of connection with me where I knew, wow, their heart is healing and they're okay, like, now this particular child is melting into my arms and just really wants to be held and loved, whereas at first it was this cold, like, I don't really want you to touch me right now, but I'm going to let you because you're my mom and... You have to kind of a thing. So just Mm -hmm. those moments where it's suddenly like, wow, like just small things that if you're not paying attention, they just, it just takes time. And then suddenly it's like, wow, I noticed, came up to me and hugged me like five times today and wanted to be held and smiled Mm -hmm.
0: and, um, yeah. hard to explain. Yeah, it's probably a really cool thing to watch. I mean, super hard. Like that grief piece makes sense to me. I think I've heard some people refer to that as like the primal wound with adopted kids. Like they've been carried by this person for nine months in utero, and then they're separated from them. And that's just a very, you know, traumatic thing that is Pretty hard to work through I think that takes a long time and so I think that makes sense you know you being with these kids for years and then starting to see some of those walls come down and them seeking that affection that's it's really amazing
2: yeah and each had their unique way you know like a couple of my children I felt like I was able to have a closeness quickly And a couple of my children did not want that at first at all. And so, there's so many factors, you know, that went into it. It was like personality and life experiences. Um, It was just interesting because I would get my head around, okay, I've done this a couple times, I know, to experience. But each kid just had their unique way of being, just like we all, you know, we're all different. And so... There's no one-size-fit-all way of interacting with each of them in our family. They all needed something a little bit different, um, and I had to kind of honor their space and not push too much into their com- their their comfort level. I know mm-hmm. it's one of my one of my kids. I wanted just I was loving her to the point of like she couldn't handle it, and it finally hit me one day. I'm, I am smothering her, and it's making it worse. Like, I have to kind of honor her level of tolerance and give her space when she needs it, even though I feel like if I just love her more, it'll help her heal. Um, and to a, so it wasn't that I didn't love her as much. I just gave her a little bit more of her... I just tried to watch her cues of being overstimulated by the amount of closeness we were having and let her lead it a little bit more similar to like play therapy techniques um like gary lander's play therapy type stuff where a child has a little bit more of the control you know in the playroom some of those things i had to kind of implement with relationships with our with The relationship with my kids and moments where, okay, I'm overdoing it a little bit with the amount of smothering and trying to heal. I need to give her a little bit of space in this area at this time of day or whatever.
0: So with those playroom techniques, can you just give us a little bit more of an idea of what that looks like? Now, I can't
2: do playroom techniques all day long with my kids but there were times that it was appropriate so and it was really easy to do with my first adoption because he was the only child and it was like I could do play filial therapy at my house it was pretty awesome um so for example like with him when he wanted to play I would let him choose what he would wanted to play and then I would join in when he invited me to join in with him. And I would comment to him about his feelings that I noticed he was having or the effort he was putting into the things he was doing. Like you're working really hard at that. Just let him really be in in charge of the playtime. And it was amazing the things that he would play through, even though he didn't speak English it was like we were connecting through play. So we didn't have the language there yet, but we could play together and it was really fun and good. And so it built our relationship, it was, it was great. But I would say, um, just as a general mom rule, if you play with your kids, that builds a relationship with them. And if you let them be in charge of the play, you're like half doing play therapy as it is. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I noticed as a therapist, sometimes the parents wanted to take charge or start teaching or be like, let's build a house. And the kid's like, no, I want to build a castle, you know. Mm-hmm. So just letting the kid be in charge of what they're playing really is healing. Especially when they've just come from a different family and a different home, different culture, you know, everything is new. Different bedroom, different sheets, different clothes. Everything is new. Different food you're eating. So if they can play and be in charge of what they want to play, that's like huge. That's like empowering them and giving them a safe place. So even if you don't understand all the rules of play therapy, just being able to play with your kid, you're showing them, hey, I I see you, you know, I love you, I hear you, and I'm here with you. And I enjoy being with you. And that can build the relationship.
0: Well, it sounds like you have put a lot of things in place to, you know, help them understand their story, like you mentioned earlier, the books. And were there specific things you did really early on when you first brought them home to help them acclimate? Because you mentioned how everything is so different.
2: Yes, at first I did what is called cocooning, one word for it is cocooning, where I stayed home a lot, and that was kind of hard, but I learned quickly that they couldn't handle being out in public for too long, too much, because even just being at home, there was so much newness, you know, with the language and food and people, so um we didn't go to as many social gatherings, you know, like, Hey, we're at this party and there's going to be like 30 extended family members. You should come. We all want to meet your child. And a lot of times we said no to those events and we just stayed home. And I think we, it was hard on my family because they all wanted to meet our kids right away. And sometimes they would get um, their feelings hurt or not understand why we were doing these things but i remember even at first with our first adoption it was like church even just church was like so overwhelming so at first we would just go to like an hour of church and then come home and then we'd spend the rest of the day at home and and you know we'd slowly adjust things up to to his window of tolerance and the way we could we the way we decided to do that was because of how his behavior was after church, you know, it was like,
1: Oh, right. Wow. So it wasn't how, what he was showing you during church. It was like kind of the ramifications afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: And that would be the way I would kind of gauge things okay, to see how my kids are doing, because while we would be places, they would, they would act okay. Or I might notice some, some things, but it's the, when you get home and this huge meltdown, those kind of things were like okay, that was overwhelming for you and, and talking it through with the ki- with our kids too. was that kind of scary going to going to this place and meeting these people? because there's so much newness, especially when our kids were young right between like 18 months and two years old these these four little kids that we've had the longest, they were kind of at an age that first year where they couldn't really understand okay, there's a new person coming. That person's just visiting and going to leave again. Um, We had one child who every time a person would come to our house, it would almost trigger, are they going to take me away from you? Because someone took me away from my other caregiver, just handed me to you. So we've had to kind of process through that. So at first, cocooning, staying home more, just this is mom. You had like six moms at your orphanage, but now I'm mom. And let's build our relationship, get used to me, invite in other people who will be close to you, but not just go to every party we're invited to or every social event, because it'll be fun, because that'll be overwhelming and not make sense to you. And sleeping by them a little bit at first. So like with our son, our first adoption, and one of the neat things about our um Ugandan adoptions is when you're in Uganda, there's nowhere else really to put your kids but have them sleep in your room with you. So that kind of was a security and safety thing because they were so young. To know that, that like, okay, the crib is by our bed or the play, you know, pack and play is right by the bed, so they they could see us close by. Just a lot of like extra nurturing and. I'm here (laughs) and then when they're adjusted to their room going in their room with them a lot at first even sleeping on the floor by the bed sometimes stuff like that just I'm still here just a lot of emotional
0: reassurance
2: and reassurance that's the word yeah
0: yeah (laughs) we're here and we're not going anywhere and these people aren't taking you and yeah just kind of that repetition yeah.
2: Another thing, when they first, especially my Ugandan children, because they were severely malnourished before we got them. So they had a lot of food trauma. I never controlled their food intake. So we always had food available. And oh my, the amount of food they would eat at first. It was like mind blowing yeah. amounts of food. And I just let them eat and let them eat and let them eat. I remember my mom was like, when my daughter was less than two years old, um, she was eating, you know, these ginormous amounts of food. But she had, she had severe malnutrition, like super severe malnutrition. So I just, I let her eat. And you would sometimes wonder, like, how is she not going to throw that food up? Like, she's eating so much. And I think, I don't know, I just felt like, I never worried about it, and she never did throw up, but she ate a ton, and now I can barely get her to eat, like, like, eat your dinner. <laughs>
1: like, you <laughs> it's have, funny you how they get, know
2: what they need. You mean. can't yeah. get dessert until you eat your dinner, but at the beginning, I think some people might struggle with letting their kitty eat that much because they think, this isn't healthy for you. You're going to get sick. Seriously, when... It comes to food trauma, let the kids have control over what they eat and how much. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. control food. So that was one thing I just, I just wish everybody could know. My kids that had food trauma, you know, kids who didn't get enough to eat, now that's not a problem at all.
0: Have you already seen differences between parenting an adoptive newborn and child and teenager?
2: Yeah, but in all three, there are similarities, too. So we've only had one newborn come to our house. And I remember going to the NICU for over a week with her, knowing she was going to come into our family. Um, And I remember one of the doctors, and I'm so grateful that we had this particular doctor. She came up to me. um, She's actually a neighbor, and she was working that day. And she said, you know, your baby's grieving her mom. I'm like yes a medical you know that this person got it and I could sense it even though she was a baby I sensed like that she knew her mom wasn't there anymore and where was her mom and so I could sense it even in the baby and with visits that used to go on that don't go on anymore with with the father every time she went and came back I could sense emotionally that was really hard for her and behaviorally she was crying more and um, uncomforted by me as much stuff like that I could even notice in in our baby um, with relationship and adjusting to the family teenagers are different though I notice it's different because I can't just pick him up and hold him and and, you know like play toys with him Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah we we have to connect differently I feel like Our son, um, our 14-year-old, though, came from a really good foster family that had him most of his life before we got him. So he already had some good relationship skills, which Mm -hmm. I think has helped the transition really well. And he chose to come to America and be adopted. He had a choice, and he wanted to be adopted. Um, So I think those things have helped him. I remember he was pretty quiet at first. And one thing we did, it was, it's a type of play therapy just with a um, teenager, is we played games at first. And it, he wouldn't talk much at all because um, he didn't speak much English. But when we played card games, he would speak. So, like, at first we played Uno, and he could say the numbers, you know? So he would say... Mm-hmm you know so the little bit of english we did have we were connecting and talking and playing a game and so then we would progress and play different games and learn different rules, and we'd use google translate to explain what to do because the english was so limited but he we found that that was something he really enjoyed doing and so that was a way to kind of bond and have him enjoy being with us and laughing and having fun together so just in a more teenage way
1: And no pressure, just like, hey, let's just be together rather than, hey, let's like connect right now and have this really intense personal conversation, (laughs) even though we don't even have the skills to do it, you know, but just like, hey, you're in our family and this is what we do. We have fun. We play together, you know, even when you're a teenager, that's what we do, which is awesome.
2: Yeah. And eating, again, eating is a great way to connect. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) does it.
1: Everyone (laughs) in the whole world does it. Okay, Candace, so a long time ago, I don't know when, but you posted on Facebook, and this is super creepy, but I loved it so much, and I used it in therapy a lot. I didn't, like, say any details or anything, but I would always be like, I heard of this mom who did this amazing thing, <laughs> <laughs> and it was awesome. So what I loved was you told a story about one of your kids throwing a tantrum in the store. Do you remember this? Am I jogging in memory? And you took away their, like, lovey little stuffed animal thing and you were like oh my gosh I really regretted it but then you used all of these um, whole brain child tools to help the child work through what was going on so I know we have a lot of young mom listeners who want like evidence that that stuff works so why don't you tell us an example of like hey when I actually connected with the root of the problem and attached instead of like disciplined it really worked can you give us like an example with like a traumatized child? yeah
2: I think I remember what you're talking about I I remember I let my children watch the movie Boss Baby and I've learned that there are a lot of movies that will have triggers for my kids and Boss Baby was one of them because this baby if I remember the movie right he's just like comes down from a place and joins a family right like Mm -hmm. kind of like it's like he's he's made in heaven or something. And anyway, he joins his family, and not through birth, you know, not through his mother's tummy. And, and so, watched the movie. He seemed fine. And then suddenly, he had a huge meltdown. And he was being really defiant. And I'm like, if you don't stop and you don't listen, I'm going to take away your stuffed animal. And of course he didn't stop. He did listen. So I took away his stuffed animal and then just this tantrum went on and on and nothing was working. And we had to go somewhere. I remember we couldn't wait any longer. And here's the other three young children in the van. And they're like, stop screaming. And I remember I pulled over, I think I even pulled over and like took him out of the van. Cause it was like one of those, like, you have got to stop screaming. We are losing our minds. Which and happens sometimes. P. Yes. other
1: parents. Yes. It happens. Yes.
2: And I wish I could say I was like super calm the whole time. But I wasn't. And um, it's hard to be calm all the time as a mom. It's just you're going to have moments where you aren't as kind as you should be. And you say things that you shouldn't. So this was one of those times where I was just like I was just fed up. And it was like there's this like quiet reminder to me like he he's been triggered by that movie and so I finally was like did that movie make you feel sad did it make you think about how you're adopted and he said yeah it did and I'm like I'm so sorry and we just held each other and hugged and his behavior totally shifted and he went stopped throwing his tantrum and like i'm so sorry you had to go through that and i'm so sorry you're thinking about that right now and that made a world of a difference in that moment
1: right being able to identify for him what was going on
2: yeah because he was still young i think he he was like three and a half or four years old or something Mm -hmm. so yeah he couldn't he couldn't put those words together on his own and so me being able to talk to him about it really helped him realize yeah that's what's bothering me right now and it was scary and I'm you know so we went to the park and we moved our bodies and let him run around and have fun and it was like connecting with his body again and moving past that sad experience for him and those triggers and then he was he was able to be calm and we were able to go on and have a good day And that kind of stuff happens a lot at my house. And sometimes sometimes I'm like, can we just be past this already? Like, (laughs) But, you know, there's just different seasons and different triggers that come up, you know? Like, with each season, I'm sometimes reminded, oh, this is the time of year we adopted you. And I'm kind of noticing your behavior's escalating, and I think it's because of that. And so I don't say that to him, but then we might revisit talking about hard things and in whatever appropriate way or pull out the book again, you know, and just talk about things a little bit. And For me, it will remind me, okay, this couple weeks, my child might be more emotional, but I think it might be related to this is the time of year he came into our family and it's still kind of hard. So helps give me a little bit more empathy and patience too. I just wanna say, I feel like I'm making myself sound better than I am because as a mom, it's hard. And like, you can't be perfect all day with like all these like techniques and stuff. There are times that I don't do these things, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but when I do, they're very helpful.
1: Well, it's one of those things, yeah, where you're like, oh my gosh, I failed so many times today, but, but it really is, it's that overwhelming feeling that you have towards the kids and that the kids have towards you, right? Which is, ultimately, you guys are their safe place, or you're becoming their safe place, or you're working towards being their safe place, you know? We're your parents, we're going to be here to meet your needs, but that doesn't mean we're always going to perfectly meet your needs, because that's like you know, just yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. But I think it is that I, th- and that's what's so important with bringing home these traumatized children is like, generally you're going to be safe. Not everything is going to be perfect. And I will get mad sometimes, but like, you're always going to be here in our family and I am yeah. going to feed you every day. And you know, those little yeah. things yeah. add yeah. up.
0: Well, we appreciate you so much talking to us. And is there anything else that you would want to share with people who may be considering adoption or who are kind of in the thick of it right now. I would
2: say I've I've appreciated talking with you guys and I'm so grateful that you invited me to be a part of this podcast. I would say if you're in the thick of it to just hold on. I know there are some times where it is it is exhausting and just to take care of yourself. And it's okay to take care of yourself, too. Um, to get a break. Like, you don't have to solve everything today, you know? Like, for me, I've had to learn to take care of myself and put my needs, you know, into my life, too. Like, for example, yoga is a way that really helps me calm down. And it's. T- I'm on what? This is my fifth year now having these adopted kids and there was several years where I didn't work out hardly at all and I'm finally to the place where I'm like no I need to work out I'm a better mom when I work out so just taking time for yourself and if you're in the thick of it don't feel guilty for that So just make sure you take some time for yourself to do things that lift you up and fill you up too and if you are considering adoption I would say it's beautiful and I think adoption is just really redemptive and beautiful and it, it's a great way um, to be a family and these kids deserve parents as much as
0: any child that you could give birth to and it's a beautiful thing. We appreciate you so much and and look up to you so much for what you're doing and... I just hope you'll keep sharing the journey because I think it's very enlightening to a lot of people and gives people a lot of ideas of how to cope with something like that.
2: Well, thank you. I'm ha- always happy to talk about it.
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at ThoughtsPod at gmail.com, and if you search Thoughts Pod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Bryach from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us.